Hope Church. Um, so let's go again to prayer, give God praise for this, and, and we'll pick up in chapter 7, verse 13. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good, your goodness. We thank you for your, your favor um, in our lives and for our church and for how you've blessed us and how you've um, given us the opportunity to be a blessing to others. So Lord, more and more we pray. We pray that you would give to us good things so that we can share uh, with others. Help us not to be selfish. Help us not to be um, greedy. Help us not to hoard. Um, but Lord, help us uh, to have open hands with all that you entrust us with. We thank you for your great goodness to us, God, in your name, Jesus. Um, and as we look into your word and see your words, Jesus, we ask that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit that we would be um, encouraged this morning, that we would be convicted wherever we need to be convicted, uh, that your work um, would be done in us um, in this morning so that your work can be done through us the rest of this day and the rest of this week. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. And I go ahead and apologize up front. Um, like many of you, um, in this last week, um, wow, you're, you're fighting some, um, some funk, some junk. So we'll just go ahead and go ahead and apologize for that up front and uh, get rolling here. Matthew chapter 7, let's read verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now that's an intense um, couple of verses there that Jesus gives. Um, you know, and, and what are we dealing with here? Again, our three parts to each section of Jesus' message. You know, what's the... What's the norm that people are thinking? What's the cultural norm? Um, what is Jesus' truth on the subject? And then what are the practical um, applications for that that result in a transformed life? So the religious cultural norm is that everyone is going to be okay. Um, or at least that only the worst of the worst would not be okay. Um, and so in this, remember the largely Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to, that they are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they felt that that would secure all but the very worst, you know, of them, at least the ones who believed that there was something after this life, who believed in a, in a resurrection and a judgment. Um, so John the Baptist had previously warned in chapter three, verse eight, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Again, he's saying, don't, don't bank on the fact of your, your cultural and religious and you know, ethnic genealogical heritage. Don't bank on that. That's not you know, going to gain you favor you know, with God. It's not going to give you a... A free ticket, you know, in. Um, and so he, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 8, you know, not to spoil things for the future, but just to read these verses um, when he's talking about the centurion's faith, uh, this Gentile 
who had exercised great faith, is in verse 10, it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, as you believe, so let it be done for you. And so, you know, in that, in that section... Jesus is saying, you know, that there are going to be those who are not part, you know, many. Um, and we know that, that he is going based on the promises that God made to Abraham, um, that he is reiterating that um, as he's ultimately the one behind these promises that through Abraham, in Abraham's seed, that is Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, but he says, you know, those that had this advantage, and it certainly was an advantage to be born, you know, a Hebrew, because you had the prophets, the true prophets, you had the scriptures, you had the, the access to what you needed to, to know and to understand um, in a very direct and clear way. Um, and yet he says, you know, there are going to be many people basically who've had this, this advantage who aren't going to enter the kingdom. Not going to enter the kingdom. But that they will be cast out. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, um, the church follows up with this, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So we need to keep this in mind in this cultural setting that Jesus is giving where everybody thinks they're okay based on something that's not a, a true relationship with God, but is based instead on religious cultural norms, ethnic heritage, religious you know, community that they're a part of. So what would Jesus say today in our land, in the United States, or especially here in the South, where so many people think that because they are part of a family religious tradition, that they're okay? You know, sometimes you'll ask people, like, well, what do you believe? And they'll say, well, my family is such and such. You know, it's kind of like they know, as they say that, that there's somewhat of a disconnect between themselves and that because they're not even willing to necessarily to say, "Well, I am such and such." He's like, "Well, my family is this." But even for those who say, "Well, I am," and if you get to the why, it's like, "Well, because that's just you know that's how I was raised." You know, and you'll talk to people. You know, it's amazing the number of conversations I've had over the years where you talk to people, and you know, you'll 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 have these questions about heaven and hell and what is. You know, what does a person need to be on one or the other? And it's basically, you know, try to be a reasonably decent person and you'll be okay. Or because you're part of a particular group, you'll be okay. Or, you know, and then only the worst of the worst. Um, Demir used this when he was here, Demir and Ingrid, when they would share with people. And actually, Eduardo and I were talking about this this morning. Uh, if you talk to somebody who says, you know, well, basically I'm a good person, you know, you say, well, okay, well, how many sins do you think you commit a day based on what the Bible says are sins? You know, any sort of, you know, lie, any sort of malice in your heart, any sort of negative thought that you have towards another person, you know, like, you know, how many times a day do you think you actually, you know, sin? And then you multiply that number by 365, by, you know, that number a day by 365 and that number by how many years they've lived, how many years they expect to live. And, and you've got tens of thousands 
of sins, <laughs> maybe hundreds, thousands of sins for the average for average people. You know that's not abnormal. You know, if you just do the math on three three sins a day, it adds up. You know, really, really quickly, thousands and thousands of sins. And so, you know that that's hopefully will help take away some of this idea that you know I'm going to be okay just because I'm good. It's like again, that's a relative comparison. It's like, well, I mean, okay, compared to the worst of the worst, yes, you appear to be good in some human arbitrary standard, but compared to the holiness and righteousness of God, we all fall short of that, and we don't fall short by a little bit. Even you know, a little bit would be enough to fall short, but we all fall short you know, by such a huge, huge amount. And there are. And we'll get into this next section because there are people who perpetuate these myths. And so this is what Jesus says here in verse 15. Um, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, before we talk about that in detail, you know, let's be clear that the practical you know, application there um, from verses 13 to 14 is to strive to enter in through the narrow gate, not to go through the broad way of destruction, but go through the narrow gate. What is that narrow gate? Ultimately, Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He claims to be that narrow uh, that narrow gate. Um, he, he claims to be the difficult way, which is a little bit ironic in that, you know, it's the only way that doesn't require um, that you change yourself before you come to know him. You know, all the religions of the world are, you know, you do all this to be a great person, to be a better person, and, you know, you can advance, or you'll be okay, or the scales will be weighed more good than bad. And, the the hard quote the difficult part is the humility to say I can't just make myself better I am sinful I need Jesus I need help I need a savior I need a king you know and to bow at his feet and to ask him it's that difficult path is the path of humility because all the other paths enable you to keep your pride intact they enable you to keep your self sufficiency in place. But this is the way of humility to say that I can't do it. I can't enter in on my own. I have to have someone to carry me through that gate. And that is Jesus himself. Um, and so now the reason that these myths, you know, get perpetuated. And again, you know, this is not new to our day in the time of Jesus. We've talked about this previously that the Pharisees, you know, what we have today is the health, wealth, prosperity gospel is just what the Pharisees taught repackaged. You know, like, 
you do X, Y, and Z, and you know you do A, B, C, and that's going to result in X, Y, Z in terms of your physical, you know, here on this earth abundance of riches, you know, and that they were ultimately greedy and hard of heart. Like that's not different than what's being taught so commonly today. It's just a little bit repackaged. Um, you know, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the, in the resurrection or, you know, like this is all that there, there is. So, you know, strive for this kind of morality, but ultimately, you know, there's not a resurrection of the dead. Well, you know, that's commonly taught, you know, today. Just strive to be a moral person, but hey, when this is over, it's all over. You know, so there's nothing new being taught today. It's just things that are being repackaged. You know, there's not a there's not like a new false doctrine out there for you to, you know, whatever. It's just a, it's just old things that have been around for thousands of years that are just you know put a different wrapping on it and sell it. Okay, so understand that. But you know, those there are some who make a living off of selling this. Verse fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And he says multiple times you will know them by their fruits. Okay, and so again, you, you know, you got to look a little bit deeper and not just, you know, don't get fooled by the smoke and mirrors. You know, don't get fooled by the nice exterior, but, you know, look deeper than that. And what do we have? So that religious cultural norm is that people are easily deceived. And I think many times, you know, as we'll see even more in the scripture, wanting to be deceived um, to a certain degree. But they're easily deceived by outward appearances of false prophets, especially if those false prophets are propped up by large religious organizations. Like the Pharisees at this time, I mean, that's a large religious organization that is, you know, keeping that system going. And keeping those people, you know, in power. And so, if there's a if there is a large religious organization, behind it, it's easier to pop, prop up false prophets, false teachers. You know, if there's motive, you know, if there's a, a motivation um, behind a powerful group of people to keep that in place. Um, now, Jesus' truth here is that Jesus is going to judge them. You know, we see that very. Clearly, for us, the practical um, application, so you know, the, we we don't follow that, is that we need to be aware to know them by their fruits. So we look back to Matthew chapter five, verse one, um, is our again a litmus test, and say, you know, are this person who I'm viewing, you know, as a teacher? If I have a question, you know, I'm viewing this person as a teacher or as a prophet or you know, I mean, someone who is is in a in a public, you know, leadership, you know, saying spiritual things. Well, here's what I need to know: Are they poor in spirit? Do they mourn, you know, over the world and over you know sin? Are they meek? You know, do they restrain their strength or do they use you know abuse their power? Uh, do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are they merciful? Are they pure in heart? Are they peacemakers? Um, are they Persecuted or willing to be persecuted, you know, for the name of Jesus. You know, that's a pretty good test there that you can that you can use. Um, 
you know, to see what that fruit, you know, is. Um, it says that they're ravenous wolves. And so we'll see that the most three common uh, vices that ravenous wolves will seek out power, you know, and the abuse of power um, to control people, money, so greed, okay, greed for money, and sex. Those things are there. Now, in our world today, and that's not just, I mean, we're concerned about it in the church. Obviously, this is, you know, kind of universal everywhere where you have, you know, and especially where, where you have power, that's the first thing. Because especially if you have power and position without accountability, I mean, we see the chaos, you know, as has been brought to the forefront in these past weeks in our nation, we see the chaos that that brings. You know, power, power, you know, especially power through position, you know, without accountability, um, you know, it's just a recipe for disaster. But we are concerned about it most of all in the church because when, you know, it's in the church or when it says it's the church, there are two different things there. But when it says it's the church, you know, then the name of Jesus gets drugged through the mud. You know, that's our concern, you know, in present day times. But this sort of abuse, you know, even in the Old Testament, the sons of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 12. First it says, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 12 of 1 Samuel, it says, they did not know the Lord. Very clear. They did not know the Lord, but... So instead of serving God um, and the people, um, these two sons of Eli, and Eli was the high priest, so they're in the priestly you know, duties. It says they despise the things of God. You know, they despise the things of God. They abuse their power in the tabernacle. And they, the scripture says that they slept you know, basically with any woman that they could. That that was their reputation. That's what they did and was therefore their reputation. So, you know, they, um, you know, of course, their sins against God did not go unnoticed. But we also see the failure of Eli to discipline his sons, to keep them accountable, to say that they could not be in that position, you know, anymore because of what they had done. So, again, we see also the problem of people protecting those that they love from the just consequences of their actions, but God isn't pleased with that either here. You know, so that's a very serious thing. So to protect against this type of hypocrisy in the church, the New Testament you know, has high expectations for those in leadership. So they're to have a good reputation within the church and outside the church, even before they're in leadership. That's one of the prerequisites. You know, good reputation inside and outside. Um, their lives should show that they're not greedy or given to excess, that they have self control. Now, I'm going to make just a caveat note that's not super related to this passage, but just the note that says, you know, any person can sin in a moment of weakness, even a grievous sin um, in a moment of weakness, um, especially, you know, with, and that's one of the reasons accountability is so important, because without accountability, then it's easier to sin, and we want to keep short accounts with God um, and with each other. So it's possible for a true follower of Jesus, a true leader, you know, in the church to stumble. That's not in view here of what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Um, This is about those who never knew him. But what we would encourage for all of us, you know, some 
you know, who hear this in this room today or who hear this message in some other way may find yourself with more and more leadership, um, more, you know, and, and more responsibility um, in this church or, in, in, you know, in the future, some other place, some other church, right? And so the, one of the lessons that we've learned through all of these things is, you know, don't put yourself in bad situations. Don't put yourself in, in situations where you're going to be tempted. People will call you foolish or call you silly for taking certain precautions, but take those precautions. You know, be careful. And so, because we're all human. Um, but what Jesus is talking about here is people who never knew him, who their motivations, who their purpose and what they were doing is always just of a selfish motive. You know, it's, it's not for a, out of a true relationship with God. Um, so Jesus' truth here is that they never knew him, that we should know them by their fruits, verses 16 through 20. But, and that if a person is, is not caught by other humans as a fraud, God is still not deceived. I mean, if, if, if some people are still followers of an individual, well, God is not deceived. Just because the people are deceived. Um, he knows. He knows. Now, just a couple of Old Testament things about false prophets that I think apply to this. Jeremiah 5.1 says, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? That's a powerful verse. You know, it's like, you know, the, the situation that's corrupt, and it's corrupt in the leadership, but it's also corrupt from the, the people. They like the system. They like how it's set up. But then God asks, that, you know, that, that question for them is, you know, what will they do in the end? What will they do in the end? Because there will be a reckoning, as Jesus says here. Um, in Ezekiel 13, uh, 1 through 3, Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the false prophets of Israel who are inventing their own prophecies. Say to them, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. What sorrow awaits the false prophets who are following their own imaginations and have seen nothing at all. And then in verse 8, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you say what you say is false and your visions are a lie, I will stand against you, says the Sovereign Lord. I will raise my fist against all the prophets who see false visions and make lying predictions, and they will be banished from the community of Israel. I will blot their names from Israel's record books, and they will never again set foot in their own land. Then you will know that I am the Sovereign Lord. This will happen because these evil prophets deceive my people by saying, all is peaceful when there is no peace at all. And so, again, you know, with the, his prophets should be giving a warning, and they're saying there's nothing to worry about. You know, think about that today with false, you know, teachers who will, you know, to large groups of people or through their podcast or through, and through their books say, hey, you know, it's only about love, man. You know, God is love. There's nothing to be concerned about. All is peaceful. All will be peaceful. You don't need to concern yourself. Well, God is going to judge that law. 
because the lie is that, you know, we all should <laughs> care very deeply. Am I right in right standing with God? And how do I become in right standing with God if I am not? You know, that's the message that people need to hear is, you know, on our own, we're not in right standing with God, but we can be. Because God does love you so much. But because he's a holy God, you know, your sin has to be accounted for. And it's going to be accounted for either on the account of Jesus or on your account, one or the other. This is a truth that people need to know and a truth that we should not be ashamed of. But because of the messages that are given by the false prophets, I think sometimes we are tempted to back off because we don't want to be those people. Now, and, and the same thing, you know, we look on the other side and you have people that are, you know, legalistic and, and so judgmental. And, well, we don't want to be associated with that camp. And what I'm going to say is, you know, if you don't want to be, you don't want to be associated with a camp that just says everything's okay when it's not. And you don't want to be associated with the camp that just appears to be, you know, just you know, angry, judgmental, legalistic. Well, that can't leave you in a camp where you just sit there on your tail and do nothing. That's not a camp. That, that's not a camp. Like, that, I mean, that's, well, I guess it is a camp. It's like literally a camp. You're just camping out, doing, you know, sitting around, chilling. Okay? But God wants us to be not one of those, you know, ex- on one of those sides, extremes or whatever, but he wants us to tell the truth in love and to not be ashamed of his gospel. It is proactive. You know, you can't say, well, I'm going to be silent because of these folks over here. Or I'll be silent because of these folks over here. You know, I, I know I'm tempted to that. And I have succumbed at different points and times to that temptation. I don't want to appear as this. I don't want to appear as that. And so I'll be quiet. But, some, but and sometimes that's inappropriate, you know, when people need to know the truth of God's love, the truth and God's love. <clears throat> so what about these false prophets with the good things they've claimed to have done? Verses 21, 22, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Well, let's consider a few things. One, it's not surprising that a false prophet would lie, even to God, right? You know, it's not, I mean, like there would be a continuous pattern. Like that wouldn't be surprising. Um, you know, I think a lot of these things are, are smoke and mirrors. You know, because obviously these things were not done truly in the power of God and for God. Whatever the claims are that were said to be done. Because um, they're saying, didn't we do this? And basically the answer is, no. Depart from me, I never knew you. Meaning, they never knew him, they never had access to his power. Like, it's, it's a false thing here. Smoke and mirrors used to deceive people. I think sometimes people can do smoke and mirrors so much, and with the hysteria of the people caught up in emotional responses, 
And it can be possible for even the false prophets to even deceive themselves into thinking that they do have some power that they don't have. But to be clear, Jesus says that there was never any relationship. It's not a relate. There's nothing here about they had a relationship and then they went off this other way and now they've you know done whatever. No, there was never any relationship with these false prophets, these false teachers. I never knew you. Period. And we need to be clear about this. It's not because Jesus didn't want to know them. But it's because you know, their hearts were set for their own selfish motives. Their hearts were set, set on their own power, their own greed, their own license to sin. And they used you know, religion, they used religious things in order to obtain those means. It was just another, a, a different sort of avenue. You know, it, it's just a, a type of crooked business um, for them. So where does that leave us? Matthew seven twenty four through 27, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. For everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So again, this goes back to those transformative applications that Jesus has. You know, that there are these these false teachers. So you're going to know them by their fruits is a practical application. Then build your house, you know, on Jesus and his teachings. That's the other, you know, application here. This is what you need to do. That transformative initiative that you can take is to follow through seriously on what Jesus has said. Again, not just to forget about it, not just to write it off as, you know, pie in the sky, sort of like, you know, that would be nice idea sort of thing. But no, but to pursue this. Everything that he's previously said in this message. You know, we, and we understand that building ourselves on his teachings, you know, that's to build himself on teaching, his teachings, you know, as a whole. You know, somebody who's going to build his life or his, her life on the teachings of Jesus isn't going to just, you know, only take those, you know, this message and not listen to anything else Jesus said. You know, we're going to take it in whole. Um, but, and they're going to strive to continue to grow and to learn more and to become more like Jesus. And he's basically teaching here that those who do that um, their house will stand when the storms come. And that's whether it's a storm you know, in this life, and there are certainly storms, sometimes very big storms that come you know, into our lives, but you'll be able to stand. But you'll also be able to stand you know, in, in judgment. You know, when it's all said and done, you'll be able to stand because your rock is Jesus. 
not yourself, not just your own good ideas, not some false teachings, not your own ego or your own selfishness, but Jesus and his teachings. You know, Jesus told Peter and basically called him, you know, you're a stone. And it refers to himself as the rock, you know, that he's the rock that the church is built on. That Jesus is, you know, who the foundation, he is the chief, as the scripture tells us, he is the chief cornerstone. You know, he's the one that we build everything on. You know, and the, the church, the true church that is built on Jesus will stand. There will be a lot of things at the end that call themselves church or call themselves one thing or another. And they will say at the end, you know, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You know, they were never built, you know, on, on Jesus himself as the foundation. They were built on other things. Um, they were built on a, 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 you know, just religious ideas, or they were built on a, you know, humanism that's just kind of given some religion to, to tradition to it, um, but not on the truth of Jesus Christ. So go back to enter by the narrow gate, um, and that again. You take that, and it can sound hard and harsh, and there is certainly an element of that that we don't want to eliminate. I mean, Jesus is telling the truth here. But at the same time, you know, we look at the cross. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. Okay? The accessibility of the gate is not what is in question. That's not what is in question. The, the human faith and humility to enter in through that gate, you know, the, the conviction of sin, it, Scripture clearly says God gives grace to the humble. You know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's not that God makes the gate inaccessible. The gate is accessible to any who will enter in. But it's the pride of the human heart that prefers the broader paths that seem easier. And that believe the law that what's just as good, that what's on the end of that path is just as good as what's on the end of the path of Jesus. And so in verse 28 it says, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that, his, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. He taught them as one having authority. And that's a big word. You know, the scriptures present Jesus so clearly. You know, people will say, man, you know, I I don't know that Jesus really claimed, you know, this or that. I don't know that he claimed to be God. I don't know that he claimed to be the Messiah. I don't know that he claimed. Jesus said, 
to the Pharisees, he said to them that Abraham you know, foresaw his day and was glad to see it. I mean, think about that. Jesus is saying Abraham, you know, had a prophetic vision of Jesus the Messiah and was glad to see it. I mean, there are only a couple of options. You know, again, you go back to those, the, the, the trilemma, the three things about Jesus, that he's either a liar, you know, that's a lie, you know, of, of malicious intent. You know, it's the lie of a, or the lie of a lunatic. So he's a liar, just straight liar. He's a lunatic who then obviously doesn't tell what's true because he's crazy. That's probably not a political correct term to use right now. My apologies, but you know, he's a lunatic. Or third, you know, he is the Lord, meaning he is the King. He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. You know, he's one of those. You know, and ultimately, you know, we are asking people to decide which of those is Jesus. You know, you cannot just, you cannot say the same things that he said about the past, the present, or the future and just be a good teacher. He's either in the category of false prophets or he is, is the ultimate true prophet. There's not a middle ground there. There's not a middle ground. You know, and sometimes you know, that people need that encouragement of, listen, there are big things at stake here, and you need to know what this, what this is, and you need to make a decision for yourself about who Jesus is. And ask God to show you who Jesus is. You know, and, and that's where I think a lot of times we have to get back to what is our, what is our purpose, what is our, what is our mission ultimate, in the ultimate sense. You know, what, and, and then that defines our priorities you know, for our lives, for, for our church, you know, what we care about. And we have to care about this reality of the narrow gate and the broad gate. Because Jesus certainly does. You know, what Jesus cares about, we need to care about. And so this is where we have to be firm in our, within ourselves, you know, firmly standing on the rock, not ashamed to stand on, on Jesus and his teachings. Not ashamed. Because how can an ashamed person, you know, share great news about a great Savior and King? That doesn't work out too well. But someone who is convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is our rock, someone who is convinced of that and has all their hope in that, their priorities are tied up in that, Is going to be a, you know, much more effective in asking people to present themselves to do so in a humble and loving way. But you know, getting people to ask themselves that question: Who do I believe Jesus really is? What is the reality about Him?
So prayers for all of us in that in this week um, that we would be building, you know, and if we have the foundation, we have Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our King. Certainly, we will want to strive to live out this Matthew five through seven. This you know hugely important teaching that Jesus gave us. We want to strive to live that out day by day, and more and more consistently, you know, with Him. You know, there's a there's such a power. Um, I mean, again, we're all mess up. We all make mistakes. We know this, but there is such a power and consistency. Um, in our lives when we consistently walk with the Lord um, and that testimony is there for the people around us. So may God help us to do that. And again, it's one of the reasons why it's so important that we keep these short accounts with God. You know, that we take that bread and that cup, you know, that we have that here every Sunday for us to take together because then it's hard to get too, too far away when my eyes have to keep going back not just to a physical bread and to a physical cup, but to what that really means and represents Jesus himself as our Savior and King, and to see him, and then get things back, if they're off track a little bit or a lot, get them back on track you know, to where they need to be with him, and to be encouraged in our walk with him and in our mission. Um, may God help us this week to be faithful to Jesus and what he has taught us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for your goodness to us, God. Lord, we know that all around us there are people who need to know your love and to know your truth. There are people who have been deceived. There are people who have not fully thought out the questions of eternity and who you are. And so, Lord, help us to love the people around us enough to share your love and your goodness. Ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would help us to love you enough that our fears would, would be swallowed up in the fullness of your love. Lord, help us to know the truth and to believe the truth. There's nothing in you, Jesus. There's nothing to be ashamed about. In you, there is truth and love and goodness and hope. And you are a righteous and holy Savior, a righteous and holy King. And help us, Jesus. Fill us with the Spirit, dear Jesus. So that people would see us and not glorify us, but glorify our Father who is in heaven. In your name, Jesus, we ask it.